Amen. Well, uh, here we go. We're kicking off a new series called Everything. Uh, and I, I'm always excited about the February series because I tend to take on finances a little bit in February. And we're not talking about how to order your checkbook or anything like that. And we're not going to ask you to give any more than you normally give or anything like that. But we're going to talk about the priority of the stuff in our lives and how the everything idea with God is such a big, big issue for us. And so that's where we're going. Now the Bible, and, and many of you already know this, the Bible is full of principles to live by. I mean, and a, and a principle basically is a thought or an idea that gives direction, an all-encompassing direction. In other words, that's true to life no matter where it's at. You know, it's just kind of this principle of life. I can live by this principle. And so the Bible's full of those kind of things. I mean, let, let me throw out a few of them. Like, for example, we know this. You reap what you sow, right? That's a principle. I mean, you, 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 you have this idea that, that as I put something into life, many times what I get in, what I put into life is what I get out of life. And so there's cause and consequences and all those kind of things. We understand that principle sometimes better than others, right? And, and another one is that God's love endures forever. In other words, there's this principle with the characteristic of God that he doesn't stop or take Mondays off or take Tuesdays off. He, he, God is constant in who he is. And so these characteristics of God give us a, a layer, if you will, of principles that we can live by. We understand God, God's going to, every time I, I blow it, God still loves me. It's amazing, but it's true. God is still there for me. And so it's this principle that I can lay my life upon and say, this is going to hold steady all the way through. Or another one is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I mean, that's a scripture, actually. But the idea is this, is that if I trust the Lord, he's going to honor me in, in where I'm at in life. It doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it means that trust is this principle that life has to be lived by. And so all those are, are, are principles that are very real, and there's all kinds of those in Scripture that are weaved through there. And so today, I want to talk about a really big one, all right, really big principle. And, 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 it's, and it is from beginning to end in Scripture, it's there. I mean, it, it, from, from the day uh, one of Genesis to the end of the story in Revelation, it is the same principle that is part of the story of God, which all of us then are a little part of the story, and it's woven and weaved through everything that happens in Scripture and in our lives and everything else, and it's simply this, is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. And some of us go, eh, I don't know if that's true. You know, I mean, that's kind of our, eh, really? I mean, seriously? Everything belongs to God. And, and so we got to kind of wrestle with that a little bit and try to figure out what's going on. And it's a foundational principle that allows us to grow and mature and become what God created us to be as followers of Christ. If you haven't made that decision yet, this is one of the ones that you got to kind of hurdle over to figure it out. I've got to come to this understand that maybe God has this control thing, not as a control freak, but that's just who he is, and he's over all this stuff. So here's, the, here's our text for this whole series. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. It's a great verse, by the way, to memorize. If you haven't ever memorized a verse, this would be a great verse to start memorizing. It says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world, oh, everything in the world, and all its people belong to him. 
So that includes people. We, so everything, all right? We're going to talk a lot more about this. For he, and it kind of gives a reason or a, little, a basis for this, for he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. So it goes all the way back to this idea that God has this creative investment. And because he has this creative investment in all this, it's his. And so from there, we start to go, okay, well, what's all that mean then? You know, and, and how does that affect my life? How does that play into my life? Does it matter at all? Or is it just some good big theory out there? Or does it play into anything? And, and the answer is most definitely. And so here's what happens. We tend, though, to blow this principle off. We say, whatever. That's just some, some mumbo-jumbo talk, spiritual lingo stuff, everything. Yeah, right, everything. Come on. The money in my pocket's mine. Right? And, we, and we just blow it off. It's just a mental blowing it off, or maybe even uh, physically we're blown off. Uh-uh, that's not true. And so we blow this principle off, and we insert the common thought of who's actually in charge, or who we think is in charge, into its spot. So we blow it off, and we insert then ourselves. I'm in charge. And so right away, before we get even one step into this principle, we have conflict. We have this conflict. God says, everything belongs to me. <laughs> and then I have this statement that says, no, it's mine. And so all of a sudden, we're in an arm wrestling match with God, and we're wrestling, trying to figure out, well, who's really in charge? Who has it all? Who does it really belong to? And we're wrestling with God. And some of us, God help us, think that we can actually beat God in an arm wrestling match. <laughs> right? I mean, we just, somehow we've convinced ourselves, no, and, you know, you're going to have this conversation with God. No, that's not true. And so then what happens is we mistakenly think that God plays either no role in the stuff of my life. He has no role at all. I mean, it's my stuff. I do whatever I want. I, I act however I want. I go where I want. I buy whatever I want. I do anything I want with my stuff because it's my stuff. God has no role, period. All right, that's, that's, that's one mistaken thought. Or maybe we take it just a little bit further and we say God has a minimal role, that he's a little part of it. At, at times he's part of it. Maybe, maybe there's moments, you know, where he's more involved than others, but I give him this minimal role. I give him this little sliver of that's true, and that's where I operate. And, that's, and some of us, it makes us kind of feel better and stuff like that. And so we've got this minimal role, or it's just the opposite, and I just view myself as playing the major role. So it's either God has no role, he has a minimal role, or I play the major role, or kind of all three of those working together. And, that's, and, and so we get into all these problems when that starts to happen. Now, there's two big decisions that each of us have to make in relationship to God. Every person has to make this decision, these decisions. Every person has to come to some grip with the things that I'm just about to ask, all right? And the first question is simply this. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the person of Jesus? The one who came to earth, died on a cross, and said, I did it all for you. What are you going to do with that? Because that's a decision. I mean, Jesus is going, what are you going to do with me? You know, 
Are, are you going to blow me off? Are you, are you going to say, ah, that was just a good teacher. It was just a, just a story. It was just some mythological idea. It's a religious concept. It's all these different. Are you going to blow that off? Or are you going to go, you know what? There might be some truth to this, that Jesus actually existed. Jesus knew who I was. Jesus paid a price I could never pay. And I have to make a decision about that. That's a huge decision. What will I do? Will I blow him off? Or will I accept him as true? I mean, that's, that's paramount to a decision that all of us have to make at some point in this journey called life. The second question, though, is just as big. And that's this. Will I bow down or surrender, whatever word you want to put in there, to the lordship of God over my life? Will I come to the place where I kneel down and I say, okay, God, it's all yours? Will I do that? Because that's a decision. I have to decide. Am I, am I going to do that or am I going to choose something else? No, I'm not going to do that. And so I have to wrestle with those two questions. What am I going to do with Jesus? And will I bow down into the lordship of God over my life? Will I, and what that means is, will I make a daily decision to surrender or give all that I am and all I have to the control of God? What am I going to do with that? I mean, because it, it's, it's a decision. It's not like, it's not a feeling. It's not just, I'm, I'm deciding. How am I going to interact with God in response to this overarching comment or, or principle that says everything is God's? What am I going to do with that? I, I mean, how am I going to respond? And so as we consider this second question, it comes alive again more than anywhere else in our lives and handle, how we handle the stuff of life. That's where it comes alive. I mean, that's where when I start thinking about God and him having everything and how I handle everything, all these things collide together and I have to wrestle with what am I going to do? How is this going to work? What's, what's going to happen? And so all of a sudden, this becomes a big issue. And we're going to see in just a moment why it's such a big deal. And so how we handle our possessions and our pocketbooks speak more about our priorities and our values in life than anything else. Okay, how I handle my possessions and how I handle my pocketbook speaks more about the values and priorities of my life than anything else. I mean, all of a sudden, it's this huge idea that, and God's going, wait a minute, everything belongs to me. It's all mine. And so I've got this conflict, this conflict that's happening, and I have to wrestle with what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? And see, by the way, this is why Jesus spent so much time talking about finances or stuff. The reason why he spoke so much about it is because he knew this is a big deal. Because the very foundation of who God is and the very relationship that I have to the stuff of life have this conflicting thing going on. And so somehow, some way, I've got to wrestle through this. Somehow, I've, I've got to get a hold of this. Nearly, nearly half of all the parables Jesus taught dealt with handling money or possessions. I mean, so you can read through the New Testament, read through the Gospels, and look at the parables, and over half of the parables that Jesus spoke about, he spoke directly about finances, about possessions, about stuff, and how that related to a relationship with God. And so all of a sudden, it's this huge issue. Jesus is saying, hey, this is a big deal. Matter of fact, in in the Bible, there are roughly 500 verses on prayer. There's 500 verses on faith and over 2,300 verses on money or possessions or stuff. 
So that just gives you an idea. Maybe this is a big deal. Maybe this is important. Maybe this is worth paying attention to. Maybe there's something going on here that I need to get a hold of because it might be one of the biggest principles in my life that could have the greatest effect upon my life. And that's, that's, that's what I think, what we're seeing here. So what's the big deal? Why is it so important? Why, why should we even talk about this? Should we talk about it so that somehow the offerings in the church and the tithes go up? That's, that's, that's nothing. You know what? Because here's, here's what I always say, is that when the heart is right, the giving follows it in the way that God wants it to be. So really what we're talking about is we're talking about a decision of the heart that affects how we do or handle the stuff of life. And so all that happens in, in, in the context of that. So it's a heart issue, and that's kind of, we, we'll keep talking about that. So why is it so important? Two, I, two things I think are in your handout. First one is this. How we handle the stuff of life affects our relationship with God. How we handle the stuff of life is directly connected to our relationship with God. Why is that? Okay, let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. It's because of this. What is, what is the basis of a great relationship? Okay, the basis of a great relationship is I trust you. That's, that's, that's the basis. I, I, I value you and I trust you, right? And, and, and most great relationships, if you think of any great friendships that you have or any great relationships that you've had in the past, you could almost put out beside that trust. I trust them. I, I, I value them. I see worth in them. Now, you take away trust, right, and all of a sudden, it affects the relationship. It, it, it tears the relationship down because I'm not sure if I can really trust you. I don't know if I can really walk with you because I'm not really sure what you're going to do. And so I have a problem in the relationship. So how's that play out? When I mess with the stuff that God says is his, and he can't trust me with it. Do you see how that affects my relationship? It creates a lack of trust. It creates a lack of trust. And so nothing breaks trust faster than when we mishandle someone else's stuff. Now, I have a pickup. I, I love my pickup. And, and I'm not offering it to everybody, but every once in a while I loan out my pickup. I just do that. I trust that person to borrow my truck and bring it back somewhat similar to when it left. <laughs> right? Now, if they borrow my pickup and they say, hey, I'm going to go pick up some furniture. And, and I'm like, okay, cool, you know. And, and next thing I know, they take it and they come back and I, I let them take it and it had a full tank of gas and it comes back and there's barely fumes in it. That's one thing. I'm like, all right, dude. Okay, I got gotcha, you, you know. And then I look on the back, and there's like this huge dent in the back side of it. You can still see the MFN, M, you know, logo kind of imprinted into the side. I'm like, what the heck is going on here, you know. And they don't even say anything. They just throw the keys on the, on the, on the steps, leave. At that point, our relationship is struggling. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, it's affecting our relationship. Because I trusted them with something very simple, simple as just borrowing or using my pickup, and it came back broke, and there was no, nothing said, there was nothing. And so we understand that, don't we? we? We get that. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. So then you look at the scripture then, Luke chapter 16. It says, 
And God's speaking in a parable here, Jesus doing a parable, and he's and explaining it. He says, if you are faithful in little things, which, by the way, the little things are, is the stuff of life, all right? That's the little things. You will be faithful you will be faithful in large ones. In other words, greater responsibilities. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy, there's that trust thing. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? In other words, there's bigger and better things here. And what we can't even get past the fact you can't borrow my truck right. Okay. I mean, we're breaking down here at a very simple level. And so he goes on, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, and he's really referring to God's things and my relationship to those things, he said, if that's going on, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? And so all of a sudden we understand that there's this huge, big deal on the table that says trust is in jeopardy. And so God is saying, everything belongs to me, and how you and I interact together in this trust relationship affects our relationship. It affects that. And so, there, so how we handle the stuff God has entrusted to us directly affects the quality of our spiritual life and whether we suffer or we grow in the relationship. Because just the same way I loan my pickup to somebody and it comes back and they took it with a quarter tank and it comes back with a full tank... You know, they took it dirty, came back clean. Old tires, now I have new tires. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, some of you are like, I borrowed your truck. <laughs> but, I mean, all of a sudden now, it, 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 it strengthens the relationship. I trust you even more. Matter of fact, oh, you want, you want to borrow something else or you want, okay, let's go for it. Because there's a relationship built on trust. First point, that's very important. How we handle the stuff of life affects our relationship with God. The second point is this. Is the stuff of life often is the biggest competitor to Jesus. The stuff of life is often the biggest competitor to Jesus. Now, think about this for just a second. So what that means is that new car could actually be a competitor of Jesus. What? I never thought about it that way. Yeah, because, because the priority that Christ wants us to have in relationship to him could actually be pushed off to the side so that I could have a relationship with my new Ford. I'm like, that just sounds weird. But that's what happens. Somehow the relationship part of it gets pushed off to the side, and what becomes the priority is the thing, the stuff. And so the car or, or the wardrobe, God forbid that anybody would ever do that, but it, it could happen. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, okay. That means if you have to use the spare bedroom as a closet. <laughs> just messing here a little bit. So the wardrobe could be a competitor of Jesus. Hope you still like me. Your retirement plan could be a competitor of Jesus. All these things could easily become a competitor of Jesus because the priority that I place upon that becomes greater than the priority of him. And so all of a sudden, I've got this issue. God says, everything belongs to me, but I can't trust you, number one, but 
we have a competing struggle here. There is a conflict that says, because I can't make up my mind, which one you think is more important, that or me? And so the verse then reads, no one can serve two masters, in other words, who's in control, for you will hate the one and love the other. In other words, it's not going to bring you together, it's going to separate. It's going to pull you apart. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. So then anytime God comes knocking and says, hey, everything belongs to me, because you have allowed it to become a competitor to Jesus, the challenge will create a fight in you. Uh Uh-uh. And that's a good way to know if it's competing. Because if somebody, or especially God says, let's let that go. Like, I can't let it go. (laughs) I don't want to let it go. I need that. I have to have it. Whoa, it might be happening. You didn't even know it. And so all that's going on inside this idea of this competing for Jesus. And you cannot serve both God and stuff. You cannot serve both God and stuff. I have to decide, again, it's a decision, which one am I going to serve? Which one is going to be the priority of my life? Which one, Jesus or the stuff? And so I'm like, well, hey, you know, you got to have stuff. And, you know, and obviously there's a balance in there. Not balance like, okay, he gets 50, I get 50, that kind of thing. The balance is, is I understand that it comes under somebody else's control. All right? We'll talk about that in a moment. So, so here's the point. For many of us, the stuff of life is more, than a pri- more of a priority than anything else, and it causes then a lot of civil war in our lives. There's a lot of battling going on with God, with our spirit, his spirit, because the stuff. There's this constant competition with the person that I shouldn't be in competition with at all because I can't seem to understand, hey, this this principle, this truth of God isn't alive in me. It's a concept that I'm kind of wrestling with. And so I have to find out the answer. So let's see if we can wrap our arms around this idea that it all belongs to God and, and gain some understanding. I, I think that's what the, today's goal is that we would understand some things, all right? That we just understand a few thoughts about this everything thing. Now, I want to go to First Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles 29. And it's King David, and, and King David is old in, in 1 Chronicles 29. Matter of fact, he's about to die, and, and he's, he's made some mistakes. Matter of fact, he, he's made a lot of mistakes, but he's still God's man. He, he's still in a place where God wants to use him, but there was one issue that cost him a lot, and that was when he made some mistakes, God said, now, you know what, you're not going to get an opportunity to build my temple. Somebody else is. And it was his son, Solomon. There was this whole process that was going to happen. And so he's, he's saying, Lord, if, I understand some things. And, and so what's going on here in First Chronicles chapter 29 is David's old. He's looking forward to see a temple built for God that he's not going to personally be able to be a part of it. And he leads the people, all the people in the land, in giving towards the new project. And he personally, check this out did a little research, he personally gives $100 million out of his own pocket towards this project to lead the way. And so the giving is crazy. I mean, it's, it's just crazy giving. The numbers are out of this world. I mean, we're talking not just a couple pounds of gold. We're talking tons of gold. We're not talking just a few dollars. It's, it's like huge. I mean, just crazy. And in the middle of this, they're presenting their, God, their gifts to God And they come before the Lord, and David makes a prayer. And when he makes the prayer, it's full of this understanding that we're talking about. 
He has this understanding of what's going on. And hopefully that kind of gets into us a little bit today. And so here it is, 1 Chronicles 29. David in his prayer. He said, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. Which is interesting because he's the king. <laughs> it's not even my kingdom. It's not even mine. I mean, it's almost like he's saying, you know what, God? Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And this house, this life, this ability, everything I am is yours. It's not mine. God forgive me for ever thinking it was. He goes on and he says, we adore you as the one who is over all things. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. There is so much in that little prayer. There's all kinds of these different things. And, you know, as I, every time I'd read it, I'd see a little bit more of something that was going on. One of the things I noticed was this. When I have a right understanding, catch this, it's not in your notes, maybe you want to write it down. When I have a right understanding, it leads to three things. It leads to recognition. I recognize God and where he's at and where I'm at. I recognize who he is and who I'm not. I recognize something about the nature of God and the nature of who I am. I recognize that. That's one thing that happens. Another thing that happens is it leads to the natural outflow of that recognition. You know what that is? Worship. He says, I, we adore you. We adore you for who you are. Because you're over everything, you rule everything, everything is yours, everything we have is from you, all that. We adore you. We worship you for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And so worship, and then the last one is this. So we have a right understanding. It leads to recognition. It leads to worship, and it leads to dependence. Lord, you're the one calling the shots. You're the one calling the shots. You're the one that's deciding who gets what, when, and where, and where, and how, and when. All, who goes up, who goes down. You're the one calling the shots. And so we're dependent upon you. And so all of that is right there in that prayer. And you would say, oh, man, there, there's some amazing things. And I think for us, that's the understanding that we need in regards to this everything idea. So what does everything mean? Real quickly. Looked it up, just trying to do a little research, and it comes from a Greek word. It, it's K-O uh, or K-O-L. Uh, I didn't pull up my Greek translation thing, you know, you know, Siri on computer or whatever. But it means simply this, all, all, or entirely, or whole, meaning this, it's all-inclusive. And, and it, here's an interesting thing about the word everything. It includes space and time. Okay? So space, that's pretty easy. We understand space. All the stuff that's in space, you know, in my space, in, in the context of where I live, all the stuff right there. But the other part of it that is kind of mind-blowing is it involves time. So from beginning of time to the end of time, everything. So, so before I was ever born, everything. 
Before I was even on the planet, I was just an idea in somebody's mind or God's mind or whatever. It was already everything. God, it was from the very beginning, everything. It didn't just kind of ha happen when I showed up. It was already happening. And so it's all-inclusive all of time. So based on that thought, you have to ask this question. What is my starting point for my understanding? What is my starting point for my understanding? Is it when I turned 18 and I got my first job where I really made some money? That doesn't go in line with that, does it? It's, that's, that's the opposite. If he is everything and it's all-inclusive from beginning of time to end of time, then maybe it goes past when I was 18. Maybe it goes past before my parents even had me. Maybe it even goes past before my parents had their parents. And then it's all of it. So I begin to get a perspective that maybe the everything is bigger than my life. That the everything is bigger than my career. That the everything is bigger than the bank account that has my name beside it. That the everything is bigger than my address. It's bigger than that. Because it includes time and space. So, so what's my starting point? When I look at my stuff, what do I think? Do I think that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine? Or do I think, no, it's always been his, it's always been his, it's always been his? Because I have to wrestle again with that. So, so all of these, I, and so, in so, so for some of us, we have to go, okay, is this some far off distant thought or is this something that applies to my life today? Is it something that actually has any relevance to where I'm at? I think it does. Let me just throw out a few ideas here from our text. First one is this. God has the first right of ownership over everything. What I've been just talking about. Beginning of time, because he created it, he who created it owns it. See, David was recognizing that even though he was a king, he had at his disposal power and wealth. It was not his own. It was given to him. Everything he had was given to him. It wasn't that he, it was his, it was given to him. This is your kingdom. And see, some of it, that's the first step is we need to, we just need to understand, Lord, this is your life. This is your church. This is your house. This is, and it's yours. I, I, I start there because I understand that ownership, first rights, go all the way back to God. And so the Bible speaks of all of these different ownerships, like Leviticus 25, 23 says, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me, God speaking. You're only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. Still happening today. Haggai chapter 2 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. So my, my, one of my favorite shows here lately, Gold Rush, those guys are just digging up God's gold. Right? I mean, it was, it's his, and they're going to work really hard to try to get a hold of it, but it's still his. It's all his. Psalms 50, verse 10 says, For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and the animals of the field are mine. I mean, it's, it's all inclusive. First right of ownership is all of his. So here's what happens, though. We often then confuse our possession with God's ownership. We think, mistakenly, 
that because it's in my possession, it's mine. And the reality is, because it's in your possession, just means that you have a responsibility, trustworthy responsibility, to handle it correctly. Because the ownership is still with the guy that owned the truck, right? That's where the ownership is at. And so I have to understand that and not confuse that. See, all, are all of your possessions under his ownership, or do you view your stuff as your stuff? Second point, God is in a position of ultimate control over everything. Ultimate control. Someone's like, eh, I don't know if that's true. God's not in control. And see, so here's, here's what happens. See, ultimately, God is in control, and the story of God is exactly that. It's the story of God. It is his story, his timeline, his decision, his call. He is actively or passively in control of all things. And here's what happens, though. As we confuse, just like we confuse possessions with ownership, we confuse patience with control. Okay? Let me explain this. Many of us think because God is not snapping his finger and jumping into every situation and every decision that I make with this stuff, that somehow because he's not actively controlling whether or not I buy this or whether or not I go after that, he must not be in control. But what he is doing, he is passively or patiently waiting to see what I'm going to do. So he's still in control. He's still allowing this to take place. And so it's happening, but many times we get confused between God's patience and God's control. Both are happening at the same time, many times. So Psalm 135 says, The Lord does whatever he pleases, whatever pleases him throughout all heaven and earth and on the seas and in their depths. In other words, he, he, he's doing what he wants. Now, I love this story. I encourage you to go read it. How, how many of you ever heard of Nebuchadnezzar? All right. Let's just call him Uncle Neb. Neb was a king that had a love affair with himself. That's, that's basically what it was. And, and what happened in Daniel is that he would constantly be exalting himself up in these high places and thinking he was all that. And God would continually come to him and say, uh, you're not all that. You're not all that. And to the point where finally it got so bad that he built a 90-foot gold statue in honor of himself. Right? I mean, the guy was, he was on an ego trip, right? I mean, he thought he was the king of kings, and he was the man, he was all, all, all that, the bag of chips, he had it all going on, and so Neb's going through all these things, and, and then he has a dream, and the dream comes and basically says, hey, uh, you're going to get chopped down like a tree, you're going to find yourself in a bad spot for seven years, things aren't going to go well, and he's like, oh man, i got to get somebody to interpret this, so he brought Daniel in to interpret the dream, and sure enough, Daniel goes, oh man, this is a bummer, uh, says that God's going to take you off your throne and make you go from being a king to eat grass like a cow in a field. Like, what? And so what had happened, in a period of time, all of a sudden, he went from having 90-foot gold statues, it's my kingdom, I rule over everything, I do whatever I want, I go wherever I want, I, I, I tell people what to do, to now he literally is crawling on the ground and eating the grass out of the field like a cow for seven years. In insanity, everybody thought it was crazy, but it was the hand of God upon his life. And after the seven years, he comes out of it, and he responds, and this is what he says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. He says, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? And so all of a sudden, he understood in all this craziness of what's going on, that in a moment, God would say, nope, I'm in control. 
and change the situation. And see, some of us, we need to understand that maybe God is being very patient with you because Nebuchadnezzar had all kinds of patience, and God finally came to the point and said, no more patience. That's it. We're, we're, we're going to deal with this right now. And he did. So God is in a position of ultimate control. Last point, and I'll have the worship team come, is this. Is that God has the ability to provide everything I need. God has the ability to provide everything I need. What we have is given to us by God. And God has promised to meet our needs according to his ability, his timeline, his wisdom. Philippians chapter 4 says this, And this same God who takes care of me will supply, provide, all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. What, what does all this mean, all right? What that means right there is that God's going to meet and give you what you need. Many times we get so lost in wants. He's going to give me what I need, and it goes back to dependence. So what does all this mean? If it all belongs to God, and ultimately he's in control, and God has the power to provide all I need, what is the everything challenge? What's the everything challenge then? What, what's, what's all this challenge mean to if this affects my relationship with God and has the potential to be the greatest comp competitor in my life with Christ, what should be my response? I mean, if this is true, if, if God it truly is, everything is His, what should be my response? And I just wrote down three things to avoid. First one is this. Avoid living as a squatter. You know what a squatter is? is they just kind of move in and take over. They don't care who it is or whose own is it or whatever, they just take over. Avoid living as a squatter. See, God has not transferred any ownership, so if I claim ownership, I'm really stealing from God. I'm cheating God. And we need to recognize and worship God instead of cheating Him. I, I thought about it this way. What if someone showed up in your home, you just woke up, next thing you know, you come down on the couch and there's somebody laying there. What in the world? You go, hey, you. The person goes, what do you want? You know, next thing you know, you're looking right beside them, laying there by the couch, is your toothbrush. That's gross. And they kind of wake up and yawn a little bit and do one of those, grab the toothbrush. And Who are you? <laughs> I like, uh, this is my house. I don't care. <laughs> uh, that's my toothbrush. Should have got a softer one. You know, you're like, what the, what? And see, that's, that's squatter mentality. And see, some of us, that's how we interact with God. We just kind of live and do and I'll go on through all this whole thing and, and not understand that God is wanting something more. Because, see, what if someone just showed up in your home and took over with no recognition, no respect, no courtesy, no gratitude of your ownership? How would you respond? That's what we're doing with God. Acting like squatters. Acting like squatters. And what's amazing to me is God doesn't smash us. God says, you know what, hey, can we, can you see who I am here? Second one is this, avoid trying to play God. So avoid living as a squatter, avoid trying to play God, because God's job is not up for grabs. God is looking for dependence we might think we're in control, but it's a, at best, it's a temporary feeling, 
it might be the calm before the storm. And God is saying, hey, don't play me. There's only one me. So be dependent upon me. I'm in control of this thing. Don't fool yourself. Don't confuse patience with lack of control. The last one is this. Is avoid chasing after my wants. Chase after your wants. It's always going to lead you in a place you don't want to be with God. You need to let God provide your needs. He'll many times give you what you want, but if you chase after him, you get lost. The byproduct of understanding everything is that I'm able to be content with what God provides. Lord, I trust you to give me what I need. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today that you're trying to constantly open our eyes up to to the greatness of who you are. That, Lord, everything belongs to you. That, God, in relationship to you, Lord, I need to recognize and I need to worship and I need to be dependent. God, help me to step into that. Help me to live that type of life, God. Not one that's untrustworthy or or one that's in competition, but Lord, to live that life that truly says, God, it's your kingdom. It's not mine. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.